welcome to this week's podcast of the Altamont Enterprise. This is Andy Schatz. I'm a former reporter and editor at the paper, and I'm back for a week or two helping as Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor, is recovering from surgery, and you would normally hear her be doing these podcasts. So we're already a little bit different this week, but we're also going to be even more different by mm-hmm. taking uh, a very interesting look at something that's uh, on the fringes of our community. Uh, there is, this is the, um, uh, the second annual Festival of Type and the Letter Arts to be held at the Greenville Drive-In, June 23 and 24. And we have with us today the owners of the drive-in, Dwight Grimm and Lee Van Swall. Um, welcome. Thanks Thank for you. having us. So as I mentioned, that we, we would like to talk about the festival, and the key word here is QWERTY. Mm-hmm. Uh, people should recognize right away what QWERTY means, that this is typewriters and nothing but typewriters. And there is a lot of interesting, cool things to talk about with the festival. But let's back up and start by talking about the drive-in. So tell us how long you've had the drive-in and how you got into it. Uh, Well, we we revived the Greenville drive-in in in 2015. Um, The lead-up to how we we ended up uh, in the position to take over the drive-in is a long story for perhaps another time. Um, but um, yeah, we didn't have like a dream ever since we were kids of owning a drive-in. That's not how this happened at all. We we no. went into it looking for something completely different. Um, I I do have a, a film and video background. Uh, I've been working as a film and video producer and in production of various and sundry television and television commercials and documentaries uh, for nearly 25 years now. So it was not completely out of left field. Uh, And in fact, part of the reason we ended up uh, taking over the drive-in was that um, the Greenville drive-in had been dormant for a number of years uh, for lack of a digital projector. projector. And um, after looking at it and somebody offering, you know, to let us take it over, realizing that by making the transition uh, from film into uh, digital, it actually offered us an incredibly rich opportunity to provide some new and different programming uh, in the neighborhood. Um, by and large, the the uh, sort of the wider drive-in industry was quite upset about the about the digital conversion. Um, they sort of felt it was it was onerous and unnecessary. Um, for us, we sort of looked at it and it was like, well, if we put this projector in there, any number of, uh, things that we can do with the projector that you couldn't do in a 35 millimeter environment, you know, to make any sort of programming, uh, for film projection meant that you were going to have to strike a very expensive film print. Um, and in this particular case, it's like, well, all I need is something to plug into the HDMI cable and, and away we go. And so we saw it as an opportunity for being able to offer more community-based programming, uh, video games, uh, karaoke for, you know, for any, you know, it, it, there's just so many different possibilities that you can use the projector uh, once you're in a digital environment that you did not have in film. So we sort of saw it as an opportunity to change the model. Um, and in particular, the, the Greenville drive-in space is 
um, for anybody who's for been there, you know it's a it's a beautiful space. It's one of the it's one of only about fifteen drive-ins in the United States. that's all grass. Um, we have a wonderful view of of the Northern Catskills, um, and most importantly, it's had. I mean, it's been around since nineteen fifty nine, and it has. Uh, you know, it has a a very uh, firm following, um, not only in the neighborhood around Greenville, but um, it's been connected to all of the resorts in the Northern Catskills. So we actually find that we have a significant uh, number of regulars who have been coming there since the sixties who don't even live in the neighborhood. They live in Long Island because they come up for the summers. They have their parents or grandparents had a summer house or a hunting cabin. And so there's this been this interesting um, uh, through line um, in the neighborhood. And so anyway, it's just it's been kind of interesting and fun to see how can we change the model as my wife has pointed, keeps pointing <laughs> out. We, we had no interest in <laughs> taking over a drive-in. Uh, we don't come. Most drive-ins are, in fact, owned uh, in a legacy capacity by its second or third or fourth generation owners. Um, so we have no bad habits. To well, well, other drive-in owners also sometimes look at us and say, "Well, what do you mean you're not doing hamburgers and French fries and fountain sodas?" And my answer to that is, you know, if I have an opportunity to bring in you know, Saranac sodas from Utica, if I can bring in my apple juice from, you know, Port Washington and my water comes down from Saratoga, I'd rather do that than have Coca-Cola fountain products. I mean, I just find that much more interesting. My, you know, people who are coming to the drive-in, I think really enjoy being able to get something there that is special. There is a reason to come in. You know, even our, our ice cream is made by two twisted ladies just up the way, and then our popsicles come from Earlton. And, you know, I, I love knowing who made my fudge and who, you know, made the cookies and where they came from and to be able to support our neighbors. What, what's interesting about it is it allows, a, it allows our partners to be every bit as creative as us because we have feedback with them. So just using two twisted ladies as an example, you know, we can kind of program them a few weeks ahead of time, we'll have a particular movie coming in, and it's like, do can you make a special ice cream for that occasion? And it's like to be able to have that kind of relationship with with your vendors and allow them to be as creative as we're trying to be at the drive-in is kind of a wonderful thing. It kind of boosts the entire sort of creative output of the neighborhood. And you also. Uh, uh, publicize the fact that you have gluten-free yes. options and you I have, have gluten-free options i have vegan options and gmo free um, absolutely so i i'm really proud of the products that that we serve um and it's it's been exciting to continue to expand on what we do have offered there and so not not only are the products interesting but the things that you're doing at the theater are also mm-hmm. interesting um if you, you can go back and look for example for fans of movies that are a little bit off the beaten trail, you've got you had a free uh, street movies um, festival that's coming up. So talk about that. So the the free street movies festival is actually that one's being done out of house in in uh, Schoharie. Okay, um, and uh, that came about as part of uh, our own exploration of the history of the Greenville Drive-in, sort of understanding that that um, this particular area um, effectively gave birth to at least outdoor cinema, if not the drive-in. Um, you know, the, the um, 
most people consider that Richard Hollingshead started the drive-in in Camden, New Jersey in 1933. However, uh, the Schoharie Free Street movies uh, began showing outdoor films uh, in 1917, uh, regularly scheduled outdoor films. And in the, in the early years, they, in fact, watched uh, those films from uh, cars on Main Street of Schoharie. So it is, in some regards, one of the earliest known examples of a drive-in. And um, as it turns out, the entire state of New York is actually one of the most drive-in dense parts of the United States remaining. Uh, at the apex of of drive-in popularity, which in fact was 1959, the year the Greenville Drive-In was opened, uh, there were 4,000 drive-ins operating in the United States. There are presently a little over 300. Um, it goes up and down every year. Um You'll find, you know, there, there is obviously some attrition. You get a lot of older owners. Uh, there has been the digital conversion, uh, but for the first time in in a number of, I believe, decades, you're actually starting to see new drive-ins being built. Um, and then there are uh, some folks like us who find a find a drive-in that just needs <laughs> needs some people to put some love on it. Yeah. So in doing all of our research to open up the Greenville Drive-In and discovering that we are really celebrating the centennial of this birth of outdoor cinema in the United States, we have an event coming up uh, Thursday, uh, the 8th of June, where we're going to actually be recreating in the same location on Main Street in Schoharie using the same film that was shown in 1917 on a hand crank projector we're going to have the old cars there um you know the idea of just being able to do that is so exciting from a historical standpoint that we actually can use the same type of projector and and hang the screen right between the same lampposts where they did it in 1917 it's just such an exciting idea for us that particular event we wanted to have take place where it happened. So even though we could have done an homage to it at the drive-in, we really thought the fact that we still had those lampposts standing in front of the courthouse was such an exciting opportunity. So let's put in our first plug then. If people want to come on Thursday and Saturday, what do they need to do? The, really the best way to, to find out more about the Free Street movies is at our website, drivein32.com. Uh, we do also have Facebook and Instagram at Drive-In32 where they can find more information about that as well. The Thursday night event uh, begins at 7 p.m. Uh, there will be some music. Um, and the Saturday night event uh, begins at uh, 5 p.m. Uh, and there will be there are two different bands happening in the afternoon and then obviously in the evening uh, there will be a presentation of... Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, the 1938 version with Errol Flynn, um, which is a wonderful, wonderful movie. We just rewatched it again uh, the other day. And um, so, I mean, it's really we're trying to recreate the vibe that happened with the, the uh, Schoharie Street, Free Street movies. Uh, the series itself uh, took place. It started in 1917. In fact, it starts. It started uh, June 7th be tomorrow tomorrow will be 100 years to the day um but it was on thursday nights which is why a, we're doing it but thursday that's the reason we're doing it on <laughs> thursday nights and it ran um every summer uh every summer thursday uh until 1942 and at the at the height of it 
little Schoharie, the village of Schoharie, was getting uh, as many as 100,000 people would show up in a season. Wow. They were averaging in the 30s, they were averaging about 5,000 people a, a night. So if we look back uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you had a short film festival. We did. Um, yep. Tell the, us a little bit about that. It looks like these are, again, things that it are hard if you're a, an independent film festival fan or something just a little bit different than mainstream that you have to travel a good distance to find it. But here you're bringing some of that in. Uh, yeah. So it's a friend of mine, Doug LeClaire, uh, another sort of veteran from New York City film production. He's been running the Asbury Short Concert um, for the past this was his 36th year, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Asbury Group has, um, they have a library of short films that they've gathered from over the 36 years. And um, what Doug does is that he puts a unique program together um, each night, or you know, each time that they run the Asbury Shorts, um, he will sort of sift through uh, their archives and try and come up with an appropriate uh, blend of short films that's sort of suited to the to um, uh, to the venue. Um, I think we're one of the very few outdoor venues for the Asbury Shorts. Yeah, they they've done their uh, film con- or yeah their film concert up at the Linda in mm-hmm. Albany mm-hmm. as well. So, but you know, he'll go ahead and give us a different collection of films than what he might show up there. So, outside of some of these events. What type of films will people expect to see if they come to drive-in? We try and do we try and do quite a bit of a mix, and and the reason for that is that um, people don't seem to have uh, disposable time anymore. Uh, once upon a time, the reason the drive-ins were so big was that there were very little other entertainment, and so everybody went to the drive-in on Saturday night because there wasn't a whole lot of other options to do. One of the things that we find, especially if you have family-oriented programming, is that, you know, families are scheduled often like months out, um, which, again, is one of the reasons we sort of do a, you know, a popular retro uh, programming schedule so that we can tell somebody, you know, now in June what's happening in August um, so that they can put it on their calendar and they can sort of schedule, um, they can kind of schedule appropriately. And so we we have quite a bit of a mix. You will find, I mean, most of our stuff is is popular retro. Uh, we do try and show a couple of films every season uh, that come from that particular year. Um, they're not, we're not able to show first run movies, but frequently we can show um, uh, a movie in second run not too long after it hit the, hit but, the but even if we do that, we try to make it really purposeful because the interesting thing is in this area, there are drive-ins to choose from. There are more than just one drive-in in the area. So if you do want to go see guardians of the galaxy two, there is a drive-in in your neighborhood where you can see that mm-hmm. the type of thing that we would be showing last year, for example, we did Shaun the sheep, which mm-hmm. was a new film by uh, makers of Wallace and Gromit. And the way that we did that is we actually partnered up with Heather Ridge Farm, and they brought some sheep down. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> so before the movie, the kids could go and feed the sheep, pet the sheep. And the, the best part, my favorite part anyway, was that at the end of the, um, at the, end of the you know, petting zoo, I guess, the sheep all went back into the truck, and our friends said, well, we'd love to stay and watch the movie. Let's see how the sheep behave. 
So they were sitting in the beer garden watching the movie, and all of a sudden, from the back of the trailer, you could just see these little sheep eyes looking out at the movie. <laughs> and from time to time, just a little, ah, <laughs> so they really became part of the whole experience and that made it something that really set us apart i think from going to see a you know a new film at another drive-in i, I think it's one of the things that is sort of lost in this modern world is that um is that movie exhibition by and large has become very stale and it never it was not stale Back in the day, like it very much is, you know, there is kind of a carny element to uh, at least where motion picture exhibition began. And there was, they were all, if you go back and look at the drive in ads from the 50s and 60s, even at the height of it, they were still trying to come up with wacky schemes to get you into the drive in. And there were always uh, playgrounds or, uh, you know, trains that you could ride or putt-putt golf or they mixed it wasn't it was never the drive-ins were never just the movies mm-hmm. um in the same way you know back when there were more mom and pop hardtop theaters same thing you know you try and find different ways to market yourself to the local uh community and ways that people would respond to and i think you know it's one of the most interesting things about being a you know a mom and pop small business you know you're not while you don't have a lot of uh, resources to draw from you also don't have a lot of obstacles either um you know there's no bureaucracy that has to that i'm going to be fighting when we come up with some other than the bureaucracy of being (laughs) married Um, (laughs) uh you know the there's no um you know you just kind of come up with an idea and just like hey we got to do this (laughs) and you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but the beauty is that you can you have this freedom to kind of uh experiment it's also nice to be able to have i mean we certainly listen to the feedback so if people come in and are like hey we would i I use rocky horror picture show as an example i i would not necessarily i like rocky horror picture show but I, it was not exactly the thing that I would have been like, oh, yeah, we should put that up at the drive-in. Um, but I was sh- shocked by the number of, of younger adults who would come in and be like, you guys really ought to have Rocky Horror Picture Show. And we put it up, and we did quite well. And so it, we'll be back this year. So we've heard a little bit about um, what it is that you do and what the theater does. Now let's go to QWERTY. Because this is... Uh... And, and, and QWERTY is definitely... I mean, it, it really is... It's it's uh, definitely my wife's world to some degree. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I do love it. And I think... It was my favorite event last year. And this really, I think, speaks to when something works, let's bring it back. And so... Um, we're expanding it this year. You um, need, well, you need to take one step back yeah. and tell us how this idea came about because I, I heard that there's a good story behind it. So, yeah, so, you can talk we, about your so we were having Dwight's car oil change or something in his car. And so we were at the dealership, and as we were sitting waiting for the oil to be changed, we just heard some tapping happening at the other side of... The waiting room and of course we looked over and there was a gentleman typing of course i had to go over and say oh what are you typing what's going on and he has since become a friend his name is eric malbach and he collects typewriters and after meeting him hearing about his typewriter collection dwight and i went home and 
in, in typical Dwight fashion, he's like, huh, I wonder if there's a good documentary about typewriters. And before we knew it, we had found out that there was a great documentary about typewriters, typewriters in the 21st century. There also happened to be a typewriter orchestra, the Boston Typewriter Orchestra, in our midst, you know, just a couple hours away. And before we knew it, we had a whole day planned. We had typewriter poet coming up to do on-demand poetry, and there we had the first annual typewriter festival. Um, And I think think one of the more interesting parts of it were, I I was really expecting no one to show up. Um, And we we kind of put it out there as like, this is as far out as we were going to go and we're going to put our little freak flag out here. And it's like, this is really, really, really strange. And we just want you to know that that's how, you know, we're open to super strange ideas. And people showed up. And people respond. People who I would not have expected to respond to the QWERTY event responded to it in a way that I was like, huh, there's something here that we should continue to explore and see if we can push it a little further. Yeah, the range of audience that we saw last year was so exciting. The way that you could see the kids connecting to typewriters, they, the young people really enjoyed it. Uh, people who were older enjoyed the nostalgia of typing on them. People would say, oh, I used to have a typewriter just like this. Even Dwight mentioned one of the typewriters was just like the typewriter his mom used to use. Right. So, you know, there are people from all age groups just found a way to connect connect one, with the typewriters. One thing that makes this fun is not just bring back the typewriters, but the way that the typewriter is being brought back to life in, in, in some sense, because... Mm-hmm. What you're doing is having people use them and, and the, the orchestra obviously using mm-hmm. it in a slightly different way for the noise. Right. Newsroom people from a certain generation will appreciate right. that. There was a certain yeah. clack, clack, clack that you had to have in order to focus on what you were doing. But let's go through some of the events that you're doing here that, that again, are just a little bit different and, yeah. and fun. Well, yeah, and one of the things we are also doing um, is just reaching out to local artists and inviting them to either send in photographs of their art that we can display up on the big screen. We have some local artists who will be sending in type either art made on typewriters or inspired by typewriters or using typewritten elements that we'll be able to show in uh, the concession stand during during the weekend. Okay, so you have that's what uh, is listed as the first event typewriter themed art exhibit in the snack bar. Uh, that's on Friday, June twenty third, um, seven o'clock. Cocktails in the Projectionist Club Beer Garden to celebrate National Typewriter Day. Is the, is that actually that is, the it day? Is a, it is a thing, and okay. that is the day, and that's actually the reason we did. We actually altered the date. Um, this year, I can't remember when, when we did it. Last. I think we did it earlier in the season last year, um, and so we pushed it so that it would it would line up with um, uh, with National Typewriter Day. And then later Friday evening, you have live music, and you mentioned Brian Dewan. So yeah, tell, are tell you us familiar a, with Brian? I am not, but I hear so there's a good connection. Brian, to this well, too. Brian is a is a avant garde electronic artist, and also like a physical artist as well. He has uh, done a number of notable album covers uh, for people like They Might Be Giants. Um, he, in fact, has just done the album cover for uh, the Boston Typewriter Orchestra. Um, interestingly enough, we met both BTO and Brian Dewan completely separately and didn't know that they knew each other. And anyway, <laughs> they, they turned up. But Brian, 
Um, that's what the drive-in's about. Just bring people together. Right. We right. have, it, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a magnet for um, unusual creative types uh, in a drop-in center. We get very unusual people stopping by at all hours of the day and night uh, to meet with us. But, yes, Brian, um, uh, Brian does some amazing um, electronic art uh, or electronic music. Um, I don't exactly know what he's going to be doing for this event because he's going to try and tie it in to the typewriters. It could be anything. Uh, and that's sort of the thing. We kind of want people to to do their own thing. We've had an interesting response from a lot of our musicians uh, who come to the drive-in because unlike most any other place that does live music, um, I want them to play their own stuff and play original creations and whatnot. We are not a place where, you know, you're going to come in and hear Eagles covers. Um, <laughs> and it's not to say, I mean, I'm, we're all fine with covers and there are places for, for cover bands occasionally, but for the most part, um, you know, we want artists to come in and have a place where they can feel uh, supported to play whatever their their vibe is and so in this case we just told brian it's like you know the stage is yours hopefully it, it plays nicely so now we get to another um film piece that ties in with what you do and the festival and it's a screening of the 2007 documentary helvetica have you seen helvetica i have not seen helvetica but it is well known in the typeface so and good. design world it's, it's a pretty the, geeky thing to be into the, well <laughs> i'll tell you what the funniest part about it is that the the documentary was edited in um, a post-production house that was owned by a friend of mine and uh he called me up and you know we were we always just were sort of consulting about what was going on you know in our respective companies and he's like yeah i got this documentary that's in here helvetica and i was like the typeface and he's like yeah and i was like is it a short or is it and he's like no it's a feature length documentary i was like there is no way that they're going to be able to pull that off and lo and behold, I watched it after it was released, and I was like, that is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And part of the reason it's so good is that they really made a wonderful human connection with it. Um, the characters that, I mean, they feel like caricatures, <laughs> some of the folks who are in it, but they're they're honest and genuine and funny, and people are, it's just so funny that people can be that passionate about, you know, a typeface. Um and it was also exquisitely shot. You know, they, they went and there were so many photographs of Helvetica and its, you know, natural environment. And and, and to see it on the big screen, I'm, I'm really excited because I've only seen it on, you know, small at-home screen. So I'm excited to see it, you know, on an 80-foot screen because when you have a film that's really beautifully shot, to, to be able to see it in such a large format but also under the stars can... I'm, just excited. I'm excited to see it again. It was just such a good documentary that um, it, it probably would be in my top five favorite documentaries of all time. Oh, excellent. Well, that, that's a high compliment right there. Uh, Saturday now, we have um, in the afternoon a type-in. Let's, let's hear yeah, what a type-in so, is. So last year, I think we had about 20 typewriters. This year, we're expanding to probably 30. And we're actually working to put together a little card with each typewriter that will let you know what year the typewriter is from. So uh, you can actually say, okay, well, I want to, if there's one from the year that you were born, you know, you can go mm -hmm. ahead and type on, on that. Um, and we'll have paper available and you can type and you can 
go ahead and write a letter, write a poem, put it in an envelope, and then you can actually go to the U.S. Post Office, which will be set up at the drive-in. At the drive-in. So you we can send a, your letter, your typewritten a, letter, from the Greenville Drive-In that a, day. We have a mobile office with our own cancellation stamp. So the, you, will, you will have typewriters for people, but you're mm-hmm. also inviting them to bring in their own Absolutely. typewriters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this will be fun. A, a, a caravan of people with typewriters heading to the drive-in. You just <laughs> will not see that anywhere else. Uh, and later in the afternoon, on-demand typewriter poetry. Yeah, so last year we had a typewriter poet there who, for example, I gave him the uh, the topic of stars, and he just typed up a poem about stars that, that I still have and will be actually displaying at the event. Um, we are also looking at the possibility of having some typewriter poets Friday as well, so all of those details are still working their, their way out, but uh, that was really a fun, fun element um, to have someone who really just knew the instrument and was able to have that on-demand, just sort of creative expression. It's actually kind of a big trend, to believe it or not. They have a, there are a lot of roving typewriter poets around oh, wow. the United States. So uh, Next is, as you mentioned, the Boston Typewriter Orchestra. It seems like it would be self-explanatory, but you've really got to explain it. It's got it. kind of a... They're, they're, well, I kind of have to explain it with reference to something that hopefully other people... It's it's kind of like a Blue Man Group sort of rhythm. Right. Uh, but it's rhythm and spoken word and office humor. Um, if you... Yeah, pretty much if you combined Blue Man Group and office space, you'd get the, <laughs> you'd get, um, the Boston Typewriter Orchestra. They're very, very funny. I didn't... To be honest, we booked them last year, and I was just kind of like, all right, we'll see how this goes. And I wasn't really sure how. And they were hysterical. Like, they're really very funny. It's a very tight group. They re- rehearse a lot. Uh, and they are starting, people are now starting to realize who they are and what they do. And they're actually starting to get a following. So it's kind of fun uh, that they are going to be there. And what's even more fun is the fact that they are featured in the documentary that we'll be showing that night. Okay. So that's the, the finale, the screening of California Typewriter. Indeed. Um, featuring Tom Hanks, John Mayer, Sam Shepard, David McCullough, and others. I mean, yes. this is an all-star cast these, of these typewriter. Are, they are all typewriter stories. aficionados. I you, Tom Hanks is, you know, the most famous. Uh, I mean, he's the most famous in that list, but he's also among the most famous typewriter enthusiasts. Uh, so they interviewed him for the uh, for the film. There is a uh, there is a reasonable chance as of today that the director Doug Nickel will be with us oh, okay. uh, to do a Q and A at the at the drive in. We've been sort of working to see if uh, his, so to give a plug to um, uh, to his film. He uh, like most independent filmmakers, you know, the goal is you want to be distributed. Uh, so his uh, so California typewriter just uh, received um, they just got a distributor uh, and in fact this is kind of a special screening ahead of uh, what will be the official premiere in August uh, and um, California typewriter will be out in uh, movie theaters uh, for a couple weeks in in August at select locations but um, we're just excited if Doug is able to show up um, it's it's going to be wonderful to, to have him yeah. and present. we're just really thrilled to have it as part of the festival because um, it, it does remind us you know that typewriters are still on people's minds so let's tell listeners um, what they need to do to come 
ticket prices and how to order? Yeah, I mean, the best way to, to find out all the details, again, is to go to our website, uh, drivein32.com. We do also have uh, the details available at Eventbrite. Um, so, and there's a, uh, a link available to the Eventbrite uh, posting on Facebook and, and also on our website. So the way that we're setting this up is that it's uh, $10 for Friday night, $15 for Saturday, or you can do both days for $20. And if you buy your tickets before the 15th of June, you'll be getting a packet of customized letter writing materials. So, and that'll include a special stamp that we developed for the event and a bunch of special letter, uh, paper, letter paper and envelopes. So, so we've heard uh, a lot about two pieces of history that still live on mm-hmm. in your community. We have drive-in movies and um, typewriters through the celebrated through this festival. And I think you made the comparison somewhere along the ways. This is retro in the same way that vinyl it may have kind of faded away but still lives on and is coming back is that something is that a theme through the projects that you take up or the way that <laughs> yeah, you try, try to figure out how to, how to re, re, reboot anachronisms um i suppose to some degree but you know it's it's also like in everything be it the drive-in be it the typewriter be it the um uh the street movies it's like how can we um, look at these sort of vintage methods of communication, but look at them sort of with fresh eyes and and what you know what parts of it um, still have still have modern application. Um, and you know, it's just I don't I think I think these are all tangible things. Um, and I think you know the deeper we get into a digital world, I think we still want to have some connection to a to a physical nature. I mean, I do think that the kids always show like it's an interesting gateway to see them playing with the typewriter. I think part of it is you get an there actually even though it's you know it's this sort of you could consider it old and slow. It's also immediate in the sense you press the type <laughs> you press the key right. you get a letter you know and it's sort of like there's something to that. Uh, being connected to the machine and being able to have this kind of physical. Um, it's it's also destructive. Like you know, it's like unlike you know, cutting and pasting. If you make a mistake, like it's that mistake is permanent. You kind of now have to fix it. And there's something about I think it, it makes it makes things more thoughtful. I have this conversation all the time on my uh, radio show um, when I bring filmmakers in because most of the filmmakers are at least my age. I'm 46, um, and so all of us have sort of transitioned from analog and film to a digital environment and i would say almost all of them have the same take uh on the approach which is that when it's a destructive medium you're way more thoughtful about how you execute it um you know in the case of film uh you know a, a, a thousand foot roll of film is 600 well, it was 600 dollars a few years ago maybe more now um you know before you press the press the button to start rolling film you want to make sure that you know what you're doing <laughs> right. and so you've given it a lot of thought and i think the same the same applies to a typewriter i think it applies to anything where you're kind of altering 
the medium that you give it, you know, it's that measure, measure twice, cut once mm-hmm. kind of theory. And Correct. so it's, it's, you're more thoughtful and engaged. Um, and while, you know, we're never going to go back to, to using, to all of us having typewriters and sending typewritten letters, unless we've determined that all of our email is going to be hacked. Um, <laughs> The uh, there are still um, the idea of of the thought behind it and how you use it. I don't think is going to is going to go away. And I think it is nice in all of these different things to be able to see. I think there's also a an idea of preserving the uh, technology behind it in a way that it's like, we don't want to lose like with the street movies. I think one of the things I'm most thrilled about is like being able to show another generation. Here's how these film projectors work. We need a few of you to remember how it works so that we can kind of keep this idea alive. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's got importance. Well, the venue also lends itself to, interaction which Mm -hmm. is i think something you don't get when you go to a traditional mall movie theater when you go to your mall movie theater you get your popcorn you sit in your seat and you stay in your seat at the drive-in people wander in and out of the car they may set up something in the back of the truck they may come sit up in the beer garden you know there's just people are interacting with each other in a much different way than they are sitting in Yeah, a number of people C- have made the, made the comment that, that it's it's not really a crime at a drive-in if you're talking throughout the movie. In a lot of <laughs> cases, you're in the car and nobody else can hear you. But even if you're outside, like in the back of a pickup truck, it's like you does, it, doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really distract from anybody else who is there. So it's, it's certainly a more social way about seeing the movie. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion, and, and we're so glad to hear that uh, history is preserved and it's being kept as a fun, fun enterprise. So thank you. This thank has you. been uh, Dwight Grimm and Lee Van Swall of Greenville Drive-In, and we've been talking about the second annual Festival of Type and the Letter Arts at the Greenville Drive-In, June 23 and 24. Thanks so much for coming and talking to us. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you.